Good morning. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We are in a series called A Time for Christmas. Last week we discussed a time of salvation. Today we discuss a time of celebration. And as much as I want to be merry in this time of Christmas, I find myself being a little bit more bah humbug. And we remember what it's like. We remember the old story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the Charles Dickens tale of a Christmas carol who, when everyone would mention Merry Christmas, he would yell in this old crotchety way, bah humbug. And I think in a season of pandemic, in a season where we can't do some things we'd like to do, it's real easy for us to lean toward our own Ebenezer Scrooge and forget that Christmas isn't just a time of year, but it's meant to be a Merry Christmas. And I hope and pray that that your life, like mine, over these last several weeks, have been praying to God, help me be more merry in this Christmas, rather than a Scrooge, that the Lord would do that in your life as well. You know, but it's easy to kind of forget that the very first Christmas was, was taking place, took place in a time of despair, in a time of confusion, in a time where seeing things seemed lost. And so I want to encourage us this morning. To have a Merry Christmas and a Bah Humbug season requires the right perspective. We remember what it's like to look back at the, at the Luke chapter 2, and we know this story of Jesus coming. And, but it's, sometimes we forget that as the door closes on the Old Testament, that 400 years go by before we turn the pages of the New Testament. And 400 years, God's people became oppressed and were under significant rule. First the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. And that God's people were reminded of the prophecies of old, that there would be coming one, a Messiah, who would lead them into freedom, who would lead them to become leaders of the people. Yet for 400 years, they're not being leaders. They're being led by those who are pagans. And for 400 years, it seems as if hope was kind of lost. For 400 years, the worst of it all is that they don't hear a word from God. There's no prophecy. There's no spokesperson. There's no messenger. There's just silence. And at the end of 400 years, confusion, chaos, and pain. I don't know if you guys might think that's a little familiar in the time of 2020. Confusion, chaos, and pain. Next week, I'm going to speak to 2020 in the world of confusion, chaos, and pain. And we're going to leave it behind. Are you guys okay with that? But before we leave it behind, can we just be thoughtful of in the midst of this chaos, God's called us to be thoughtful and mindful of the coming of his son, Jesus. So in this great context, we need to be reminded that when the angel came to share with the shepherds, of this news that it wasn't just any news. That in the midst of despair, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain, this was news to celebrate. And so this morning, I pray that we understand a time for Christmas is a time to celebrate. Luke chapter 2, if you've got your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in verse 8, reading through verse 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, there are some truths to celebrate right here in these simple verses that I think call us to be thoughtful of having a Merry Christmas and a Bah Humbug season. Number one, truth to celebrate is the fact that there is great joy. There is great joy. We know that Christmas time is a time of joy. We sing about it, joy to the world, right? We will all come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant and so on and so on. We understand that joy is about the season, but it's not just about the songs. The songs were born out of the narrative that the messenger gave the shepherd. He came to bring good news of great joy, not just any news, not just daily news, but good news, news that would result in great joy. And as I look at the TV, as I'm reminded of the updates that I get every day about the pandemic that we're living in, I need to be reminded that there is good news that results in great joy. You know, what's interesting about this pandemic. It's confusion, sickness. We really don't understand who gets sick or how they get sick. We, we're still confused about how people are affected and how maybe they're not affected. And I think one of the things as I've been thinking about this pandemic is the issue that I have about can't. I can't do some things that I once did because of the situation that we're in. I can't have my son's birthday party. I can't go to a football game. I I can't be in my small group. I can't visit my family or my sisters. I, I can't have Thanksgiving like I want to, or I can't have Christmas like I'd like to. I can't go to work. I can't go to the store. I can't go to church. We are in a season of can't, can't, can't. And sometimes when we think about the can'ts, it results in this idea of loss, losing out on family, losing out on tradition. I'm I'm afraid that I'm not able to do some things, and we're losing out on our freedom. And it's this sense of loss that I think, unfortunately, is like a heavy blanket of hopelessness that has fallen upon our culture. I can't, therefore I lose. And I just want to remind us this morning that even though we are in the midst of some significant circumstance, a significant weight of issues that have fallen upon our culture, it doesn't mean that hopelessness has to fall upon our heart. That even in the midst of despair, there is good news that results in great joy. And we see that with Jesus coming to be the Savior of all humanity. And so maybe this Christmas season, Unlike any other Christmas season, we got to fight for the joy. we got to fight for the reasons to celebrate and rejoice that in the midst of pain and hardship, there is great joy. That is a truth that we need to celebrate. The second truth we need to celebrate out of this passage is the two simple words. The only commandment in this, word, in this whole passage is to fear not. As the angels came for the shepherds, the first thing they say to them is, fear not. And it kind of begs the question, why would they say that first? And I don't know about you, but shepherds, as I'm sure, they were upon that hillside night after night after night, and nothing like that had ever happened. There had never been a messenger of the Lord that came to them in the middle of the night to, to share them a word. I'm sure they were filled with great fear, but the first thing the shepherd says to them isn't, hey, I've got some news for you, isn't that there's one, the Messiah is coming. It's, it's the first thing he says to them is to fear not. A word 
of assurance and encouragement to bring them courage. It's as if the angel said, I see your fear and you've got nothing to worry about. In fact, I'm going to bring you great joy. You know, I think the danger as we talk about Christmas time being a time of celebration is to kind of run over those among us who don't feel like celebrating. You know, for many of you in our body, 2020 has been an incredibly difficult year. It's been a season of significant loss as you've lost loved ones and work and employment. For some of you, this has been the most difficult season of your entire life. And so I don't want to be insensitive as if to say to you, hey, you know what? We've got to buck up and just be joyful, put a smile on and celebrate. It's not what we're saying here. Rather, what I'd like to do is do what the angels say. And for you among us who are hurting, can I just bring a word of assurance? Fear not. I don't know what anxiety or worry or fear that is in your life or, or what caused that during this difficult season. But I need you to hear the word of the angel to the shepherd and let this morning be a word from the Lord to you. Fear not. Find courage and assurance that in this season, although incredibly difficult for you, that you've got one who loves you and cares for you, is watching over you in the midst of significant struggle. I love the assurance that the angels bring the shepherds. And I hope and pray that you feel the assurance of the Lord upon you even in this moment. Fear not. And I think one of the reasons that the angel gives this word to the shepherd is that before they could really understand joy, they have to have the courage not to fear. So this morning, a truth to celebrate is that we don't just hear the words, fear not, but that we believe them in such a way that we are not drawn to fear, but we have such great courage that produces a great joy in us. What a truth to celebrate, to fear not. Thirdly, I think a truth to celebrate out of this passage is born this day. The angel says, born this day will be a savior. I've mentioned this before, but we, we have a gaggle of children at my house. And so over the Christmas break, what happens is we get, um, we go to Kroger every day. That's what happens over the Christmas break. We, uh, we, do a, we, we don't do a lot. Brooke cooks a lot as the kids are home. And I remember our, our first son, Gavin, was born. It was great. It was exciting. It was new. We were brand new parents. And so we had everything lined out and we were prepared and we were ready. And then we decided to do something kind of crazy. Um, that 10 months later after he was born, let's get pregnant again. And so Brooke said, I'm pregnant. I'm like, what? You know, we were tired because we're new parents. At the time, we were building a house. We were living in an 800-square-foot apartment while the house was being ready. We were in complete chaos. I really don't remember much of Brooke's pregnancy with our second son, Caleb. Now, Brooke probably remembers it. I just don't remember it. We were, we were just nutty. It was a crazy time. And so we had Gavin, and then we had Caleb. And then 10 months later after that, Brooke said, guess what? I said, please don't tell me. And she said, we're pregnant again. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So in this very young season of our life, we had three kids under the age of four. And I thought to myself, but I want this one to be different. I want to remember this pregnancy. And so we did something that very few people do. We decided to wait until the birth to find out the gender of our third baby, um, which drove my mother-in-law absolutely crazy. She wanted to bribe me 
hey, let me call the doctor. I'll give you money. I need to know what this third baby is going to be. We said, no, we're not going to do it. And so we both had all of our ideas about what the gender was going to be. I was certain we were going to have a third son. You know, we already had the Sons of Thunder. Why not give me one more? And as Brooke went into labor, um, a baby was born. And I think the doctor forgot that we didn't know the gender. Like we were waiting for words from him. It's a boy or it's a girl. And so what felt like, you know, several minutes probably only a few seconds went by, and I'm like, what is it? You know, that's what I called it. What is it? And he said, it's a girl. And in that moment, although I thought we were going to have three boys, in my heart of hearts, I wanted a baby girl. What I had hoped for now had come true, and Lily was born. See, what often we forget as we read quickly through Luke chapter 2 is that what the shepherds were hoping for, that the Messiah would one day come and, and remove the oppression and the weight that they were feeling as a people, had now come true. That this word of great joy, this word of good news, was to bring something to them they were hoping for their entire life, that born this day. And it's an incredible reminder of all the prophecies that were now going to come true. That the prophecies of, of Jesus found in the Old Testament were, were not just hopes, not just fairy tales, not just myths. But now they are in fact fact and truth and something to celebrate. Prophecies like Micah 5.2. That 700 years earlier the Lord spoke through the prophet Micah reminding them that the Messiah would come from little Bethlehem. Listen to this, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Prophecies like Messiah would come from the line of Jesse, the father of King David, who is from Bethlehem, Isaiah 11.1. 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest Upon him, Messiah like uh, who will come from the born of a virgin. Isaiah 7 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. You see, it was joy to the shepherds because what they were once hoping for was now coming true. What great news that born this day. Now, that's the truth to celebrate. Another truth to celebrate in this passage is that born this day is Christ the Lord. Now, in the original language, Dr. Luke didn't necessarily write Christ the Lord. The way it's written is, is three markers, three identifiers of Jesus back to back to back. It was originally written Savior Christ Lord. That's how he identifies him. And in those markers of the identity of Jesus, Savior literally means one who delivers. Christ literally means the anointed one, and Lord is another name of God. And what we're celebrating is that there is one who will come deliver his people. He is not only anointed by God, but he is God. We celebrate because Christ the Lord has come. The Savior that we all need has now come on the scene. The Savior that we all need, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Savior we all need 
that the sin in our life will lead to destruction and spiritual death. The Savior that we all need, that our sin leads us to eternal separation from God. The Savior we all need, that in our flesh, in our intelligence, on our own, we cannot reconcile back to God. The Savior we all need has been born this day in the city of David. And that's the heart of Christmas. You know, God didn't send a committee. He didn't write a self-help book. He didn't send a substitute. He sent himself through his son to be our Savior, the Christ Lord. This is why we have much to celebrate. Timothy, Paul in 1 Timothy says this, verse, chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a truth to celebrate. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the enemy. That's a reason to celebrate. We celebrate that Christ, the Savior, Messiah, Lord, has come. Last truth to celebrate this morning is that we celebrate two simple words that may be, for me, the most impactful in this passage. Verse 11. For unto you... For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Unto you. You know, the angel didn't go, the messenger of God didn't go to the temple, didn't go to the Pharisees, the rulers, the scribes, the teachers of the law. The angel went to these young, poor, uneducated boys who were ceremonially unclean because of the work they did as shepherds. They couldn't give an account or testimony in a a court of law. As shepherds, they were seen as pretty much low on the social ladder. The angel of the Lord gives the first birth announcement to those who are on the outside and the outcasts of society and the shepherds. These were uneducated, dirty, young boys. And I think, why? Why do that? I may not know this side of heaven, but here's what I'm inclined to understand. Because in verse 10, it says that this news is for all people, that unto you, no matter where you are, what you've done, that unto you, no matter how worthy you might feel, that unto you, no matter how much sin may be in your life, unto you and unto me and unto us, the Savior is for, has been born for our behalf, unto you. If it can be for the shepherds, it can be for anybody. Unto you, this one is born. could be that this morning you don't understand why Christ came for you, but he did. It could be for you you don't understand that Christ came for you this day, but he did. It could be that for you the struggle of I'm never going to be good enough for God's love to be upon you, you need to be reminded that this truth is unto you. Just like it was unto me, just like it's unto us. This is our joy. This is why we celebrate This is why he came. So what a challenge for us to consider that Christmas time is a time to celebrate because there's truths here to celebrate. So how do we apply that? 
Just a quick word of application. Richard Foster is right when he said that Christian joy is both a privilege and a duty. That when we accept Christ into our life, we trust him as Savior, that a fruit of the Spirit that is now within us is joy. It's a privilege to be filled with the joy of the Lord. But it's also a duty, a responsibility that we have to continue to live out that joy. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, to rejoice always. Paul says it again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Our life, our Christian life ought to be about joy. It ought to have this, this idea that in us is this joy that's overflowing from us. But if joy is a privilege, how do we make it a practice? Now, here's what I know about some of you. Some of you, you look at life and the glass is half full. That's me. I am easily entertained and easily a pretty joyful person. I'm also a morning person. So some of you in this room hate me already. Some of you look at life and the glass is half empty. Listen, we have not just a privilege, but a responsibility to practice joy. Because the world's watching. We can sing about joy, we can read about joy, we can say we're about joy, but in your life ought to be flowing joy. The writer John Sanderson states, a Christian with a gloomy countenance is practical atheism, for it ignores God and his attributes. That's a tough word. For some of you, naturally, glass is half full. For some of you, naturally, glass is half empty. We have to work at being joyful. For those who are half full, it ought to be authentic joy, genuine joy, not just fake joy. For those of you half empty, you got to work at mustering up joy. And the joy that you muster is probably going to be more genuine because it takes work. It's both a privilege and a practice. So how do we make it more of a practice in our life? I think there are three things that keep joy from us. One, sin. Sin steals our joy. It is a thief. It takes our joy right from us. Because when I'm in the presence of God as I'm worshiping him, as I'm honoring him in my life, as I'm obedient to him, there is joy. Listen to Psalm 1611. This is David. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knew that when he was in the presence of God in obedience, there was great joy. But when he broke fellowship with God, there was not joy. In fact, this is why he prays to God in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That restoration happens through confession. If you're struggling with the thief of sin in your life and it's taking away your joy, the medicine you need is confession. Just going to God and saying, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you find yourself with a gloomy countenance as a believer, sin may be the culprit. I encourage you to confess. Sin not only steals our joy, but pride steals our joy. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on and he warns the Philippians not to rejoice in their own ability or their own flesh. And he goes on to, to talk about how he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he is blameless and righteous. But then he goes to say that I consider all of that loss. 
comparing to knowing Jesus, my Lord. He knew that to rejoice in the flesh was going to leave him wanting. This is why he should only boast or rejoice in the Lord. Pride steals our authentic joy. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the sermon's got to work through the preacher before it works itself out in proclamation. Earlier this week, I was kind of down in the dumps. I was a little gloomy. I was a little, I was a little funky. And so my family kind of knows this about me because I'm either really good or, or sometimes I'm really not. And what was keeping me down was pride in my life. And I remember thinking and praying about this sermon and going, you know, why, why am I so weird right now? And I remember thinking the Lord saying, because of this and this, it's eating at you and it's stealing your joy. And guess what? The Lord is, I don't know if you know this or not, always correct. And I had to stop and confess my pride. Because just as confession is the answer to sin, humility is the answer to pride. Philippians 4.4, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. And then later on in verse 7, if you have any anxiety about with you, pray. Can I just tell you that prayer is an indicator of humility in your life? If you're not praying, it's probably because you've got pride. And the most humble people I know on the planet are incredible prayer warriors because they understand that prayer brings them to a space of humility. And humility answers the pride problem. And there can be, for us, great joy. Last thing that steals our joy, I think trials and circumstances can obviously steal our joy. You know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's hurting. We live in a world that's full of pain and death and, and heartache and sorrow and things that just don't work out. Those things take our joy. Circumstances take our joy. Trials take our joy. In the Bible, there is the book of Lamentations written by kind of a, a down-in-the-dumps, glasses-half-empty kind of guy named Jeremiah. And as Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, it was a lament to all the things that were wrong, not only with himself, but certainly with God's people. But in Lamentations, there comes a place where he turns a corner, that he's lamenting, and it's sorrow, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But then he turns a corner. Because he's reminded that even though things are not going well, there is one who is watching over me that is well. Listen to Lamentations chapter 3. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. And the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They, listen, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. If trials are stealing your joy, trust is the medicine that you need to take. I trust the Lord. That he gives me hope. That his mercies never end. They are new every morning. That his love never ceases. And I know for me to stand here and say, hey, you need to trust God, may seem very simple. 
but it's exactly what helps breed joy in the midst of trials. Trust the Lord. This is why we celebrate that even in the midst of despair, the shepherds receive this incredible word, and as a result, they begin to understand that the Messiah Savior has born unto them. This morning, this last week of Christmas, as we prepare for whatever Christmas looks like for you, can I just encourage us to let it be a time of celebration, a time not only where we have family and friends and gifts, an opportunity to be together, but we have a time to celebrate because of what Christ has done for us. Let your heart and your soul sink deep into the joy that is offered us right through the Christmas story. It is a time for celebration.